0: Good evening, the GameStop game, more threats to democracy. Michael Brown and Netfa Freeman join us to talk about what's really happening with community policing and the BDS movement. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durianzo with the WBAI News for Friday, January 29th, 2021. The Securities and Exchange Commission is warning brokerage and the pack of social media traders that it's watching for potential wrongdoing in the trading war that spit up the stock price of computer gaming retailer GameStop. The so called Reddit rally has inflated stock prices for GameStop and other previously beaten down companies that individual investors championed on social media forums, including Reddit. GameStop surged 51% on Friday after brokers, including Robinhood. Ease some restrictions on trading. A small protest at the New York Stock Exchange on Thursday hit allegations the brokers were protecting big investors at the expense of the little guy.
1: They just want the hedge fund investors to make more money than the common man. But I'm here to say that the common man wins.
0: The destabilizing purchases of GameStop stock were organized through the popular discussion group Wall Street Bets, hosted on the social news aggregator called Reddit. On Thursday, New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez held an online forum about these events on Twitch. She invited a former Wall Street insider who quit and became an activist with Occupy Wall Street. Her name is Alexis Goldstein. She describes what's been happening on Wall Street.
2: This Reddit forum that's been around for a very long time called Wall Street bets I think grew and grew and grew just as a lot of people again. And I, and I want to say this isn't everybody. I know a lot of people don't have disposable income Mm -hmm. to trade stocks and to trade options. Um, but some people got really interested in this forum. It grew. And one technique that I would say Wall Street certainly has used against each other historically is trying to squeeze what are called shorts. Mm -hmm. So a short, so you can buy stocks, right, that lets you own a tiny piece of a company. You can also bet against a stock, a stock, and that's called shorting a stock. And the way that that works operationally is you borrow that stock from somebody else, you immediately sell it, that it goes down. And if it goes down a lot, you can buy it for really cheap, you return it back to the person you borrowed it from, and you get to keep the profit. Um, so that works fine and good if the stock goes down. But if the stock has to go up, and up, and up, now you're losing a lot of money, now you're starting to sweat, now you're starting to get nervous, and you either have to hold it out um, and hope that it turns around, or you have to buy it back for much more money. And so the sort of scheme, I guess, or the idea on Wall Street bets was to find stocks that they liked and thought were good, that were very heavily shorted, buy them, tell everybody and all their friends to buy them, and that would force the shorts to eventually give up and have to buy the stock back themselves, which would only then raise the price even more. The other thing that made GameStop and all these other stocks go up even higher than that is people were also buying what are called options. An option gives you the right, but not the obligation, to buy a stock in the future for a set price. Mm -hmm. So an option on GameStop that expires in a week Um, might have what's called a strike price, and the strike price is the price you get to buy it at in the future. And why am I saying all of this? When you buy an option, you buy it from somebody on Wall Street, typically a market maker, who usually owns that stock. And they are saying, I have 100 shares of stock and I am agreeing to sell it to you in the future at a set price. But if they don't own the stock, they have to buy the stock to hedge the position. So you had short sellers who were potentially going to have to buy GameStop. You had people on Wall Street bets buying a lot of GameStop. You had people on Wall Street bets buying options on GameStop. And then you had the people selling the Wall Street betters options also having to buy GameStop stock in order to hedge their option position. So that sort of created this upward momentum in the stock. The important thing to remember about Wall Street, they don't want other people to know what they're trading. They want to know what their competitors are trading and their competitors want to hide it from them. They pay a lot of money to try to figure out what their competitors are trading. And all of a sudden, you had a Reddit forum that was telling everyone on Wall Street not only what their position was, what their plans for the position was, and what they were trying to get their friends to do with the position, which, you know, is actually Wall Street's dream is to know what other people are going to do with a stock in the future. So Mm -hmm. what I suspect happened is in addition to all these people on Reddit buying, in addition to the people who were hedging their option sales, buying, you had a lot of people on Wall Street saying, oh, this is going to go up and I'm going to get ahead of it Mm -hmm. and I'm going to ride it all the way to the top. And when it starts to crash, I'm going to ride it all the way back to the bottom. A lot of folks have used the app Robinhood. Mm -hmm. which I like to think of as the Facebook of stock trading. Robinhood is free. It doesn't charge commission. And the way that their business model works is they sell their order flow to market makers, Mm -hmm. which are these sophisticated Wall Street participants who execute the orders for them. The market maker they sell the most of their flow to is a hedge fund named Citadel. And Citadel is not just a hedge fund. They are also a market maker. They are also a technology company. They are owned by a billionaire named Ken Griffin, who is out of Chicago, who has funded some very questionable things. One of the hedge funds that Wall Street Bets was very excited about blowing up, Melvin Capital, was rescued by Citadel after it blew up. There were actually two. Wall Street firms that bought Melvin Capital or rescued it, I should say, Citadel and the new fund of Steve Cohen, who you may know as the owner of the New York Mets. Steve Cohen is famous or infamous, I should say, because he used to have a hedge fund called SAC that pled guilty to insider trading in 2013 Mm -hmm. and had to shut itself down.
0: Alexis Goldstein is a former Wall Street insider and activist at Occupy Wall Street. Her articles on GameStop are available on Twitter and Twitch which I mentioned earlier, is a social media platform primarily used by internet gamers. GameStop is a brick-and-mortar business selling computer games with thousands of stores and malls across America. Like many similar businesses, it took a hit because of COVID lockdowns that kept customers at home. We'll be following this story in more detail on the WBAI news next week and what it might mean for the future of Wall Street. Today, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced he'll loosen some COVID-19 restrictions as the rate of infections declines in the state. Cuomo says indoor dining can return to New York City on Valentine's Day, but at 25 percent capacity, leaving restaurant owners fuming. They say they can't survive with three out of four tables empty. Restaurants are a perfect example of what you would call a brick and mortar business. Teams of compliance officers will be deployed to ensure adherence to the rules with steep fines for noncompliance. Cuomo adds bar service will remain closed and that food and beverage service must stop between midnight and 5 a.m. The governor also said the state will consider increasing restaurant capacity to 50 percent once there's no increase in infections. Whenever that happens, Cuomo also announced that marriage receptions can begin again in accordance with state guidance on March 15th. He says events must be approved by the local health department. Capacity will be limited to 50 percent and no more than 150 people can attend the reception and all need to be tested before the event. Meanwhile. COVID numbers today based on test results yesterday show a statewide positivity rate of 4.65% with 151 COVID-19 deaths yesterday. Here is the positivity positivity rate in the boroughs, 7.06% in the Bronx, 5.5% in Brooklyn, Manhattan, it's 3.47%, Queens, 5.8% and Manhattan Island. Uh, pardon me, Staten Island, 5.53%. On Long Island, there is a 6.51% positivity rate, and in the Mid-Hudson Valley, which includes Westchester, the positivity rate is 6.27%. Meanwhile, at a news conference held by the federal government's COVID Task Force, the new director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, warned about fears over the spreading mutated variants of the virus.
3: We need to remain concerned about the emergence of variants in the United States and are rapidly ramping up surveillance and sequencing activities as we work to closely monitor and identify variants as they emerge. Any information we have, we will then share with you as rapidly as possible. The B one one seven variant that was first detected in the UK has now been confirmed in 379 cases in 29 states as of January 27. Yesterday, South Carolina public health officials notified the public about the first two documented cases of the B1351 variant, which was officially uh, first detected in South Africa and now in the United States. These cases were identified, identified in different parts of the state and not believed to be epidemiologically linked. They each did not have any travel history. We are still learning more about their exposures. And earlier this week, Minnesota identified the first US case of the P1 variant. This is a variant that originally emerged in Brazil. CDC will continue communicating with international, state and local partners to monitor the presence and impact of variants in the United States and around the world. And we are actively working with national reference laboratories, state health departments and researchers across the country to improve our understanding of these variants and how they may impact the pandemic. We also know viruses mutate, and they tend to mutate in ways that are advantageous to the virus. We expected this, and this is why I feel compelled to underscore for you the need for each of us to remain steadfast in our commitment to taking all of the appropriate steps to protect ourselves and our communities.
0: Dr. Rochelle Walensky is Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a bill today extending the last remaining nuclear arms control treaty between Russia and the United States a week before the pact was due to expire. Both houses of the Russian parliament voted unanimously Wednesday to extend the New START treaty for five years. Putin and President Joe Biden had discussed the nuclear accord a day earlier and the Kremlin said they agreed to complete the necessary extension procedures in the next few days. New START expires February 5th. Russian diplomats said the extension will be validated by exchanging diplomatic notes once all the procedures are completed. The treaty, signed in 2010, limits each country to no more than 1,550 deployed nuclear warheads and 700 deployed missiles and bombers and envisages sweeping on-site inspections to verify compliance. And two pipe bombs left at the offices of the Republican and Democratic National Committees were discovered just before thousands of pro-Trump rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Now, investigators say the pipe bombs were placed outside the two buildings between 7.30 and 8.30 p.m. on January 5th, the night before the riot. The devices were not located by law enforcement until the next day. It's not clear whether that means the pipe bombs were unrelated to the next day's riot or part of the riot planning. Both buildings are within a few blocks of the Capitol. The two bombs were reportedly very similar, about a foot long with end caps and wiring that appeared to be attached to a timer. They both appear to contain unknown powder and some metal. Officials have increased the reward in the case to $100,000. The FBI released grainy surveillance camera images of a potential suspect. They say the person wore a gray hooded sweatshirt, a face mask and Nike Air Max Speed Turf sneakers in yellow, black and gray and had been carrying a backpack. Those Nike Air Max Speed Turf sneakers go for as much as three to five hundred dollars a pair on the Internet. On Wednesday, the Department of Homeland Security issued a National Terrorism Advisory System bulletin warning of a potential domestic terrorism threat. It says there's currently a heightened threat environment across the United States that's likely to persist over the coming weeks. While the bulletin said there's no credible plot to do violence, it did say, quote, Violent riots have continued in recent days, and we remain concerned that the individuals frustrated with the exercise of government authority and the presidential transition, as well as other perceived grievances and ideological causes fueled by false narratives, could continue to mobilize a broad range of ideologically motivated actors to incite or commit violence. Unquote. Illinois Democratic Senator Dick Durbin, the majority whip for the chamber, spoke about the threat of domestic terrorism yesterday. He began by listing some of the injuries reported by police battling the pro-Trump mob that invaded the Capitol on January 6th.
4: In testimony yesterday, the acting chief of the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington told the House Appropriations Committee that at least 65 officers filed reports of injury after the January 6th attack. The chair of the Capitol Police Officers Union put the number closer to 140. I have officers who were not issued helmets prior to the attack and who have sustained brain injuries. One officer had two cracked ribs, two had smashed spinal disc. One officer is going to lose his eye. Another was stabbed with a metal fence stake. He said one officer died of injuries sustained on January. The six and two officers have since taken their own lives. Some of my colleagues and many people on their side are saying we shouldn't spend time talking about what happened January 6th. In the words of former governor of South Carolina, Nikki Haley, we ought to get over it. Get over it. It's hard to get over it when you consider the facts that I just read into the record. For the families of those officers who lost their lives and those who were seriously injured, They won't get over it for a long, long time. I don't know what the impeachment trial will find in terms of the role of the former president of the United States, but I believe it is an important milestone in America's history for us to stop and recount what actually happened in this building on January 6th, where a mob incited by the president stormed this Capitol, broke through smashing windows and doors, and literally took control of this Capitol building for several hours. Here in the Senate chamber, we were evacuated. Thank goodness we returned that same evening to complete our business and complete our work. There's ample evidence of what happened that day by video, photograph, and testimony. I hope it's part of the record of this impeachment hearing so that this generation and future generations will have no doubt what happened that day. Already, we have those who are in denial, who are arguing that this was really some far-left group that was taking over the demonstration, a ludicrous argument on its face. And we have many who are in complete denial that it happened or that it had anything to do with right-wing politics. They're wrong. We saw it. We recorded it. We're going to put it in part as part of the record so that America knows what happened on that day.
0: Illinois Democratic Senator Dick Durbin and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi had some words yesterday regarding extremist statements made by Georgia Republican representative and QAnon supporter Marjorie Taylor Greene, a video of her berating a survivor of a school shooting and various Facebook actions apparently supporting calls to kill pelosi among others have been turned up that's led to some that's led some to say taylor green should be censured or even kicked out of the house speaker pelosi added that the enemies of democracy are not just out in the streets
1: what i'm concerned about is the republican leadership in the house of representatives who was willing to overlook ignore those statements assigning her to the education committee when she has mocked the killing of little children at Sandy Hook Elementary School, when she has mocked the killing of teenagers in high school at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, what could they be thinking? Or is thinking too generous a word for what they might be doing? It's absolutely appalling. And I think that the focus has to be on the Republican leadership of this House of Representatives for the disregard they have for the death of those children. They not only are they not interested in uh, gun safety and gun violence prevention by passing legislation for background checks legislation, which is overwhelmingly supported in a bipartisan way in the country, but to have someone who would mock, call it a fake, if those fake events onto the uh, It's just beyond any understanding of any regard that the House Republicans would have for the House of Representatives, for the Congress of the United States, and for the heartbreak of the families in Sandy Hook and Marge Storm Douglas High School. It's really beyond the pale. You're just gonna have to ask them why they thought that that raised itself to the level of something appropriate to do in the Congress of the United States. We have members of Congress who want to bring guns on the floor and have threatened uh, violence on other members of Congress.
0: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi herself came under attack in speeches on January 6th prior to the Capitol takeover. Meanwhile, a federal judge has denied bail for a 60-year-old Arkansas man who posed for photos with his feet on Pelosi's desk during the January 6th riot at the Capitol. Chief Judge Beryl Howell said Richard Barnett's behavior was brazen, entitled and dangerous and called him one of the stars of the assault during a hearing via video conference on Thursday. Barnett was armed with a stun gun when he joined the mob that forced entry into the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. He entered Pelosi's office and posed for pictures with his feet propped up on her desk. The FBI found the packaging for the stun gun at Barnett's home near Gravette, but not the weapon itself. And during confirmation hearings for Linda Thomas Greenfield to become U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, she answered a question about the BDS movement for boycotts, divestment and sanctions against Israel for its treatment of Palestinians, which she slurred as almost anti-Semitic. While Ambassador Thomas Greenfield and Representative Taylor Green couldn't be further apart on most political issues, conservatives and liberals are united in trashing the same sort of social movement that was A-OK to some of the same folks when it targeted South African apartheid 30 years ago. A journalist for the Electronic Intifada covering both the BDS movement and the career of Marjorie Taylor Green, is Michael Brown. He says the GOP congresswoman represents a growing threat.
5: Perhaps most troubling is that She's an element within the Republican Party that the Republican Party doesn't want to step away from. They have just recently said that she's going to be on the Education and Labor Committee. A lot of Americans wouldn't want her within a 100 yards of that committee or when you consider her views on the school shootings in Connecticut and Florida in recent years where she basically had supported comments that they were staged events. And that, to me, is is really appalling that she harbors those views. Um, She had the the belief that the election was, was fraudulent, and she certainly has not backed away from that over the course of the last two and a half months. She's really just doubled down on it. Democrats are right to call her out. I don't think that Representative Jimmy Gomez from California is going to be successful in getting her expelled. It's possible that they'll get a censure measure against her, repudiating her viewpoints on on a variety of issues, or at least around the election.
0: This has been one of the most conservative areas in America for time immemorial. That said, is she really that different from conservative right-wing voices in American history? I don't think she's out of step
5: with some of the more extreme conservative views. The concern that parts of the Jim Crow South have not gone away. That said, despite my concerns about that district and its extraordinary conservative leanings, which you point out, I do think that the developments in the overall state of Georgia are extraordinary. And I did not accept, expect to see that again in my lifetime, that they would send John Office and Raphael Warnock to the U.S. Senate. I have concerns about their positions on Palestinian rights. I was particularly perturbed about how Warnock stepped away from Palestinian rights over the course of the last three or four months. The fact that they were successful in statewide election campaigns was really very striking to me. It said something about the direction of the country and that there were parts of it that are saying Trump is simply too much. And that was a relief because the direction he was taking us was towards a proto-fascist, if not an outright fascism.
0: Linda Thomas-Greenfield, he couldn't get more opposite to taylor green and yet she during her hearings seemed to insist that bds was a uh, potentially anti-semitic she didn't say it was anti-semitic but potentially anti-semitic movement the language that she used was that it verges on anti-semitism
5: this is one of the great tragedies of american politics both republicans and democrats uh unite around supporting israel's policies um, in the West Bank, the, the Republicans, to a great extent, the Democrats, to a lesser extent, but is still there. To say that a movement that is nonviolent and supports equal rights is verging on anti-Semitic Semitic is, is to my mind, appalling. It speaks to an ongoing fight in the Democratic Party that needs to be had. A younger generation, a grassroots Democrats are increasingly concerned about Israel's actions in the West Bank and within Israel itself. But that is simply not reflected with the statement from Thomas Greenfield. Uh, It's not reflected in Neera Tandon. who's given support to Netanyahu at Center for American Progress. I saw Andrew Yang the other day with his op-ed in the Ford that was bad-mouthing the BDS movement. And, of course, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, has strong reservations about BDS, although he at least regards it as a First Amendment concern. Uh, Thomas Greenfield, in her statement, said that she doesn't even want those voices to be allowed into the U.N. to voice their views.
0: And that is Michael Brown. He's a reporter with the Electronic Intifada Last night, in his eighth and last state of the city message, Mayor Bill de Blasio pledged to expand the power of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, the agency responsible for civilian oversight of the NYPD, and bring two other oversight functions under its umbrella, the Commission to Combat Police Corruption and the NYPD Office of the Inspector General. Calling it the David Dinkins plan, named for the late mayor who created the independent CCRB, the mayor said the agency will have the right to initiate investigations without an individual complainant and have timely access to information needed for those investigations. This includes body-worn camera footage and other disciplinary and employment histories for substantiated cases. It will also enable the agency to investigate instances of bias-based policing, misconduct, and to review the NYPD's patrol guide to find instances where the policies are potentially problematic. But... Despite those reforms, there still remains a lot of community opposition to the mayor's idea, a lot revolving around the difference between community control of the police and community policing. We'll get into that more next week. So stay tuned to the WBAI news. You hear it every weekday at 6 p.m. here on WBAI. And that's some of the news for Friday, January 29th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City for the WBAI News. I'm Paul Durianzo. Thanks for listening.